Hey everybody, have you ever been on like a vacation or a, a tourist destination or some experience that you were planning for for a long time and then when you got there it was even greater and better than what you could have ever imagined. Um, we did this once as a family. We were actually able to go to London for just a few days and we got to the Tower of London and at the Tower of London the tour guides which are called bee feeders, they're their very uh, highly trained tour guides took us through the Tower of London. They got the palace here and they, they showed us this amazing uh, structure in the Tower of London. And then saw the crown jewels, it was fantastic. And then the, the guards, the royal guards with the beef eaters. And then you got the king, the line of kings and the armor and, the, and then the chapel was amazing. And then, uh, and then this beef eater is feeding the ravens which are the guardians of the, of the, of the Tower of London. And this, this is the, the, the tour guide, the beef eater. And at, at, at some point in the tour, he's showing all the splendor and amazing history. He says, okay, I want to take a poll here and find out who's here. So he says, any of you from, so place and place. And then he said, uh, any of you from Australia? About 10 people raise their hand. He says, oh, I see you're out on parole. And, um, and then he says, are any of you Americans? And about half the crowd we raised our hands proudly as Americans. And he said, I want you now, Americans, to look around at all the history and the splendor and the wealth of what you have seen today at the Tower of London. And think of it, it could all have been yours if you'd only paid your taxes. And we all had a great laugh. If we just paid our taxes, we could have had that as a part of our history. Now, I think it turned out okay, the way it rolled out, but we had a good laugh about that. But the, 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 if you'd only paid your taxes, if you'd only done this, it could have been this way instead. And a lot of us live in that kind of coulda, woulda, shoulda. I could have done this, I should have done this, I would have done this, and I known that. And if we're not careful, we can live our lives wanting a life that never really arrives and end at the end of our days with regrets. Today, I wanna to take you to the last of the seven messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. This one is to the church of Laodicea. Before we get there though, I wanna just say a few words from a tremendous author and a good for all speaker who's coming this year, Bob Goff. He says about our lives, I don't think anyone aims to be typical, really. Most people even vow to themselves sometime in high school or college not to be typical. But still, they just kind of loop it back to it somehow. Like the circular rails of a train at an amusement park. The scripts we know offer a brand of security, of predictability, of safety for us. But the problem is... They only take us to where we've already been. They loop us back to places where everyone can easily go, not necessarily where we were made to go. Living a different kind of life takes some guts and grit and a new way of seeing things. And the letter and the message to the Church of Laodicea was a giant message of saying, you've got to see your life in a different way. So come with me. Uh, we'll come back to the map here of our seven churches 
You remember the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus through the Apostle John who's been exiled to the island of Patmos. And then he receives a revelation from Jesus and gives this to seven churches, historic churches in the first century. And we've gone to all seven of them. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea is the last one. So guys, we've come to the last of the seven churches. Kind of sad. But don't worry, we've got 19 chapters to go. Okay, so we come to the last, last, uh, the last place, Laodicea, and note the two cities that are to the north and to the south of Laodicea, Hierapolis and Colossae. You'll want to remember those two cities, Hierapolis and Colossae, because we'll get to them a little bit later. But this passage is about living the life you've always wanted, getting to the life you've always wanted, and you may not have even known what you wanted. But there's this inward desire to have something more. Come to uh, chapter 3, Revelation, verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says, and now that we get this, Jesus presents himself to them. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. And what Jesus is trying to do now is present himself in his fullness, in his greatness to them, to contrast what they have in Laodicea, in the church there. They've settled for mediocrity. They've settled for just okay, meh. But they don't know it. He's got he's to help them see it. So he presents himself to them. He says, I am the amen, which is the confirmation. It is true, so be it. The faithful and true witness. Jesus is the witness of God's truth to us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he calls himself the originator of God's creation. He's where it all began. With the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together, they give birth to the creation that we live in. They lived and existed from all eternity. But in a moment, they brought to us the creation. We read about that in Genesis. And you think about some of the incredible things in creation we experience. The vastness of the stars and the universe. Jesus originated this. And then you get to the, the beautiful mountains and trees and, and, and the animals that God created and the, the glory of his animal creation. And then, of course, the pinnacle of God's creation is human beings made in his own image and likeness. And then perhaps the greatest place on earth is Wrigley Field. Okay, so all of those come from the hand of God, all right? So we see this. And what he's trying to do is present to us all that stuff that you have around you that you like and you love and they're good gifts. Those are all from me. Those are from my hand. And you're looking at just this and you're not seeing, you're not looking up to who made that, who, who, who created that and who gave that to you for you to enjoy. I'm the originator of all God's creation. So if you want to, here's where we start. You want to live the life that God created for you to live the life you've always really deep down wanted and maybe didn't even know what it was. You start with this principle. Be captivated by the greatness of Jesus because otherwise you're going to settle for less than. But if you get in your heart, I, I want to know more about who Jesus is. I want to find out more about this because guys, if, the, if you are, are captivated by the beauty of the mountains or by the animal creation or by the glory of Wrigley Field, those are awesome. But guys, 
Who brought all these things together for us to enjoy? It is Jesus. He is the originator of all that. So we can be impressed by tons of stuff. And apologies to any Cardinals fans out there. Okay, but there is no one more impressive than Jesus. Jesus made everything that we enjoy. He says, you're, you're loving the creation, but you're forgetting the creator. Some of you grew up with the Disney classic movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Remember this one? Yeah, and he accidentally shrinks his family down and, you know, and chaos ensues. What I think's happened for a lot of us is, honey, I've shrunk our God. Not, I haven't actually shrunk him, but in my mind, he's become small in our eyes. And we haven't been captivated by how great he is. So somehow or another, by opening the page of scriptures and by listening to Jesus, look at who I am, dig into your relationship with me, dig into the scriptures to find the greatness and appreciate it more. Shrinking Jesus down was a big, big problem at Laodicea. It was a very impressive city in its day, 2,000 years ago. And it was all that. It was wow. It was pop. It was pizzazz. And I'll learn just a little bit more about this and what archaeologists have had a field day in the last couple of decades unearthing the greatness of ancient Laodicea. Check it out from uh, Dave Stotts and Drive Through History. Here we go. When it comes to visualizing ancient history, Laodicea has become one of the most exciting excavations in the Mediterranean region. But this wasn't always the case. About 15 years ago, I visited ancient Laodicea, whose ruins at that time were only a fraction of what we see today. Since I was here last, something incredible happened. A local professor of archaeology got together with a local politician and they rallied local support to excavate and reconstruct ancient Laodicea. They did walkathons to raise money, wrote newspaper articles to spread awareness, and ultimately they talked the Turkish government into making this a homegrown project for the nearby town of Denizli. It's a great story. And now look at this place, Laodicea. The final church addressed in Revelation has become one of the largest and most active archaeological sites related to the New Testament in Turkey, really the world. And to think, most of this happened in the last decade and a half. It is truly astonishing. In 2013, this ancient church was opened to the public. 2013 was the 1700th anniversary of the Edict of Milan, by which Roman Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire. Many scholars believe this church was built between 313 and 320 AD, making it one of the earliest Christian churches ever discovered in the world. Its layout is unique in the history of Christian architecture, and this cross-shaped baptistry is one of the best preserved from antiquity. And look at these frescoes, only recently available for public viewing. You know, it's amazing to me to think that for hundreds of years, these historic structures and artifacts here at Laodicea were sitting just a few feet or so below the surface. Throughout the Mediterranean region, Ancient sites are being discovered, rediscovered, and ultimately excavated that point to the accuracy of the Bible. New discoveries are made every day. 
That's why I do what I do. I get to drive through biblical history at locations like this that are still being unearthed, and there's so much left to discover. So let's get back in the car and drive 10 miles or so down the road, and I'll show you what I mean. So that's, that's the city of Laodicea. And it was, a, it was a happening spot. And some of the people in the church had kind of taken on the values of the city and have kind of settled for what Laodicea was and its greatness. And verse 15, he says to them, I know your works, I know what you're about, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now these are, or I'm about to, or I'm likely to vomit you out of my mouth. Now these are strong words. I mean, how would you like to be sitting there in church the first Lord's Day when they actually read this at the church of Laodicea? And this is the message to your church that day. You're not hot nor cold. I'm going to vomit you out of your my mouth unless something changes. What in the world is going on? Well, here's what was going on. In the city of Laodicea, see, Jesus is infinite in wisdom, and he knows what's going to connect with them, and what's going to connect with them was the water. The water supply in Laodicea was terrible, okay? Here's what was wrong. Hierapolis, remember that city? To the north, they had hot springs, and it was soothing, and there were like baths, and it was incredible uh, therapeutic and, and this awesome experience, the hot springs of Hierapolis. But by the time uh, uh, it got down to Laodicea, it's all room temperature. And then Colossae to the south, they're known for their refreshing cold water. And they've got to actually pipe it all the way, the Romans did, from Colossae to Laodicea because they don't have any natural spring waters. They've got to pipe it in. So the, by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's not only room temperature, which can be pretty hot in that part of the world, uh, modern-day Turkey, but also it's gone through all the pipes and the aqueducts and all that, and it's taken on the calcification and the minerals. So by the time it gets to Laodicea, it's no good at all. It's sickening. It's got all these deposits in it, and it's like you're drinking it and you're feeling the grit and the grime of the water. The water of Laodicea, it doesn't, it is not soothing with the hot waters, the hot springs of, of Hierapolis. It's not cold and refreshing like Colossae. It's just the only good the water of Laodicea is for is for inducing vomiting. So you drink it and you want to puke, all right? And, and Jesus says, unfortunately, you've taken on some of those qualities yourself in the way you're living your faith. So what he, here's the principle here. If we're going to live the life we've always wanted, we're going to have to reject lukewarmness in our faith. Just being kind of complacent, apathetic. Laodicea doesn't get confronted about false teaching or immorality or, uh, you know, persecution or any of those issues. It's just, they're just so apathetic. They're just, it's been a long time since Paul brought the gospel there in the, in the 50s of the first century. Now it's 40 years, a generation later, and they've just kind of settled into this kind of sickening, gritty, mineral-filled, room-temperature, faith and it's just no good anymore and what he's saying to them is be hot or cold now by that some people have said i either want you on fire for jesus or as cold as ice and antagonistic as the worst atheist i'd re rather you be one of those two i think that's the wrong comparison i think what he's saying here is i'd rather you be useful 
I'd rather you'd be good, either hot or cold. Hot's good, cold's good, lukewarm is no good. He's saying, I, I wish instead you would reject that lukewarmness and that you would be bold, come alive, be hot or cold, be good for something, be bold, be available. I mean, these sources of water were available uh, in these other two places, but they're just not in, in Laodicea. And he says, be refreshing. I, I'm going to say it's B-A-R. Set the bar higher for your faith. Be bold in your faith. Be available to be used by God. Say, I want to do something. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to follow Jesus. And be refreshing. Bring that cold water. Bring that soothing hot springs to, the, to your family, to your friends, to the people around you. By your faith, by your love, by your goodness, by your compassion. Be something. Don't settle for second rate, for complacency, for apathy, for lukewarm faith. And may all of us from time to time need those kind of wake-up calls. We've kind of settled into it, and we're kind of coasting, and we're living off the past, and, and, and we're just not, there's not a living, vibrant nature. So if that's where you are today, and all of us need that kind of jolt a little bit of time, like drink a little um, monster, and you're like, I'm going to do something with my faith. I'm going to make a difference. So a lot of it is about the attitude that you take to your faith. So I'm just saying to you who are listening to this, is something need to happen that you, you get a little bit more in gear? Like, I need to take my faith more seriously. Now, by the way, just a plug, if you want to be refreshing and bold and available, then absolutely be a part of our Love You Des Moines Days because it's a way to share your faith in action and, if God allows, in words in these, uh, in these days that are starting right now. June 11th through the 19th is our Love You Des Moines Days. And here's three ways that even if you haven't signed up for anything, you can still be involved. First, look over the 200 plus activities we have and invite people to them and bring somebody. Yes, take some time to do that. Second, you can be a last-minute volunteer. We sent everyone in the, in the church a, uh, a, an email with opportunities to last-minute volunteer where there's still some spots that are needed. You can do that. And if you don't know what that is or you just need help, uh, you can even call the church office. And then third is an opportunity is to have a mini block party. Get some ice cream sandwiches. Get the, uh, the ice cream kit from the church uh, atrium here. Uh, you know, just cook some hot dogs, whatever. Even if it's just five or six neighbors and invite them by for half an hour. Do something to show that you care and that your faith is real enough to love the people in our community. Because guys, our community needs to see the church loves them. They need to see living, live Christians. Not lukewarm, meh, blah. You say, I'm too busy. If you're too busy to love your neighbor, you're too busy. Because loving your neighbor is the second greatest commandment. So you don't have to do it in these specific ways, but somehow get in the game, set the bar, be bold, be available, be refreshing, reject the lukewarmness. Those Laodiceans that just kind of just kind of accepted apathy and complacency as the rule of the day. Okay, keep going. Um, there are people who just settle for a uh, less than experience. And to get a little flavor for this and have some fun, let's check out this little commercial. Whoa. Father, why can't we have direct TV like the McGregors do? We're settlers, son. We settle for things, like having cable instead of direct TV. Hey, Jebediah, how's it going? Working the land, 
Hoping for a fertile spring. All right. So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? I'm afraid so. Now, go churn us some butter, boy, and then make your own clothes. Yes, sir. Don't be a settler. Yeah. Get rid of Cape. I mean, the settlers, they just settle for, wow, living that way when you could have it so much better. And here's what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. You're doing the same thing. It's not about cable TV or direct TV. It's about your faith. He said, um, he says here in verse 17, for you say, I'm rich. I become wealthy. I don't need anything. I need nothing. I'm good. We've settled. We're okay with living with this kind of lukewarm faith. And look, they're living in Laodicea. They're saying to Jesus, you know, it's great living here because we're all that. Um, look at Laodicea. I mean, uh, you know, it was, it was a happening place. They were rich. They had this amazing place. They, and Laodicea was known for three things uh, worldwide uh, in the ancient world. Three things that were known most for. First was they had incredible banking and commerce. So they got money coming into that city and it's a prosperous city and a lot of people are benefiting from that. Secondly, they're known for their clothing. They are a textile place, and people there dressed to the hilt. They had nice clothing. Lots of people, the prosperous people, put on the good threads, and they're looking fine in the neighborhood, all right? And then we got the third thing they're known for, and that's the medical school. They had a world-renowned medical school, particularly one doctor there who was an eye doctor became world-known, renowned, for... Um, the eye treatment that he had, the salve that was made of a special kind of powder that they would put on the eye and it would give treatment and relief to people with eye problems. So they're known for banking, they're wealthy, they're known for clothing, they're looking great, well-dressed, and they're known for their eye treatments that help people to have relief and see better, okay? He says, you say I'm rich, I become wealthy, I need nothing because I'm in Laodicea and I'm in this church and I'm just soaking it in. I'm being a consumer. I'm taking it all in. It's a spectator and, I'm am and it's amazing. I'm good. And Jesus said, and you don't realize, you think you're wealthy and need nothing and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Other than that, you're awesome. <laughs> okay? So he says, actually, you're not wealthy. You're wretched and pitiful and you're poor. You're, you're not seeing stuff. You're blind. You're not well-dressed. You're naked. All the things that they were proud of and reliant on in their culture, he says those things are transitory. They're not eternal. He says, verse 18, I advise you to buy from me. In other words, you've been doing business with Laodicea. You've been buying into the culture too much. If you will, you've been drinking the water and it's made you sick, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He said, and now you should come to the true source of these things. Buy from me. And that little phrase there, buy from me, comes, Jesus quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah in 50, uh, chapter 55. Come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver, and without cost. God says, buy from me, but if it's already paid for, it's for yours, child of God. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, your wages on what does not satisfy? 
Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. In other words, the life you've always wanted is not found in all the trappings of culture. And they're blessings from the hand of God. They can be. But that's not the ultimate. The ultimate is Jesus. And he says, I advise you to buy from me. Look to me. Come to me. Buy without cost from me. And he says, gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and experience true spiritual riches. The soul to be refreshed and and wealthy in spirit. He says, buy from me white clothes. So get the righteousness through the cross of Jesus Christ that you may dress, be dressed and your shameful nakedness not being expo- exposed. He says, come to me and clothe yourselves with the character of Jesus, with the compassion, goodness, humility of Jesus. That's where it's at. That's where the life you always wanted is from me. Be well-dressed in the spirit of Jesus, in the righteousness of Jesus, in the goodness of Jesus. And then he says, buy from me the ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Jesus is a healer. And sometimes the affluence and prosperity around us blinds us to spiritual riches that we, we just, we don't see it anymore because we've become enamored with like second rate. We've settled and we think it's great, but there's somebody out there named Jesus waving to us and saying, I got something better for you, way better. So buy from me and you can have all these things. Here's the principle. Avoid an attitude of arrogant self-reliance. I'm good. I got everything I could ever want because you're missing out. You're settling for second best. He said, instead, embrace humble God reliance. He says, lean in on me, trust in me, look to me, and I got so much more for you. I don't think most of us realize how rich our lives could be. Spiritually rich, relationally rich, character rich. I mean, a life that really matters. See, Jesus did not come to give us easy lives. He came, he came to give us meaningful lives, the life you always wanted. And we settle for ease, comfort, material gain, and other things that aren't all bad, but we settle and stop there when Jesus says, I got so much more for you. And this isn't some prosperity gospel. It's about the spirit and the soul here. Uh, I quoted Bob Goff earlier, just again on Bob Goff. He said, I used to be afraid of failing at something that really mattered to me. But now I'm more afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And that's what Laodicea had done. They'd succeeded at everything that in the big picture things didn't really matter. And Jesus says, come come to me, do business with me, talk to me, let's work together. And then he goes on in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Now Jesus, the words are strong here to the church at Laodicea because he wants them to experience the life they've always wanted and they're settling for this. And it's really caused them to miss out. He says, the reason I'm doing all this is because I love you guys. I don't hate you. I love you. I love you so much that I cannot 
just sit by and idly watch while you waste your lives away in this complacency and apathy. You're going to look back on your lives and just regret that you didn't do more. He says, so as many as I really love, I care about you, I rebuke, I reprove, I say, well, hang on a second. That's not the direction you want to go. And he calls them out. And I discipline them. Um, the book of Hebrews says the Lord disciplines those he loves, like a father, a good, good father. And Jesus says the same thing. The message translation puts it this way. The people I love, I call to account. Prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet now. About face. Run after God. So be zealous. Get fired up. Get charged up. Don't settle for second rate. Don't settle for whatever. Zeal, passion, ambition, holy ambition. And turn it around. Repent is a change of mind. It says, okay, get fired up and make a change of direction. So this is the fourth principle. Embark on an enthusiastic change of direction. And sometimes for some of us, this is radical. It's like, I got to turn my life around because, you know, I've been heading the wrong direction. For others, maybe we're not to that point, but it's still a great reminder that Jesus has more. And so I wake up and say, okay, I, I want to make sure I'm making a beeline for where Jesus is leading. I change my direction and I've got some passion behind it. I'm saying, I'm going to get after this. One of the prayers of my life um, has been to maintain passion and zeal for Christ and for his kingdom. From the day I came to faith in Jesus until the day he calls me home. I never want to lose that. And there's times when, you know, I can get into that coasting mode and I ask God, please refresh that. Serve the Lord with zeal and with intensity. Uh, and different personalities are going to look differently that way, but there's a passion, there's a, there's a fire in the soul, and it may come out different ways in different people, but, but it's there. And that's how to get to the life you always wanted. By fully committing yourself to the course of Jesus in this world. Jesus is great. He's greater than any other person. His kingdom is greater than any other cause. So you go after that. Embark on this. You know, they've asked, um, they asked a while back a bunch of old people um, what they regretted in their life. So here's some of the old people. You know, it's like, uh, like this, and, and this uh, delightful woman, and this guy, older fellow, and this grumpy looking guy, and then this really crazy uh, aunt or grandma, somebody. And they asked them, what do you regret? I just want to tell you some of the things they said they regretted. Some of them, among things, said they regretted um, family decisions they had made. They were just poor decisions um, uh, about how they treated their, their family or the choices they made. Uh, a second one was they, they re regret not resolving a family estrangement. Uh, another one that they mentioned was um, putting off how you say you feel not really engaging in rich, deep relationships. Um, some of them said, wish I'd seen more, and wish I'd traveled more, and just seen more of God's creation and more places. Others said, big regret was spending too much time worrying about stuff and not being contented. Um, some people were, uh, 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 number six on the list was not being honest. They just weren't honest about stuff. Um, and they regret lies they told or lies they told themselves or, or ways they communicate to other people. Others said they, they didn't take enough risks. 
Um, they wish they had been bold. They didn't regret, regret so much the things they did, but they regret the things they never tried and wish they'd done so. Another was, uh, some of them said they really, the uh, last one was they really regretted not taking care of their teeth because um, they wish they had better teeth in old age. Actually, it was their entire bodies. They just wish they had, had taken better care of their bodies. Um, and uh, all of those things are important and good. Um, but one of the key ones that I came across, they said, they asked one of these people, do you wish you'd accomplished more? And he responded, no, I wish I'd loved more. And that was really powerful. And there's some wisdom in that. And those are, a lot of those are kind of human perspectives. But the point I'm driving at is don't live in a way in your faith that you can look back and have regrets about the choices that you made or the things that you didn't do that you could have done and you could have had an enriched relationship with God and with others and with neighbors and with family. The difference you could have made in this world because God wired you to be a difference maker. And instead of looking back and saying, I coulda, shoulda, woulda, you're saying, I did it. I, and, and you might even fail. That's okay. At least you attempted something great. Um, uh, I mentioned um, Bob Goff, and I've quoted him several times because he's really great on, on this topic of kind of living the life that God called you to. He said, living a life fully engaged is something most people plan to do, but along the way, they just kind of forget about it. Their dreams become one of those will go there next time deferrals. The sad thing is, for many, there is no next time because passing on the chance to cross over is an overall attitude toward life rather than a single decision. Just the way you're looking at life. Great words. Um, and guys, what, what Jesus is calling the Laodiceans to and all of us is embark on an enthusiastic change of direction. And it's never too late. As long as you've got air in these lungs, you can say, I want to do this. I want to make a difference. I want to follow Jesus. I want to love the people around me. I want to forgive more freely. I want to be more generous. I want to be more compassionate, whatever it is. Nobody says, you know, I really wish I'd gotten angry more in my life. Really? Uh, no, nobody says, you know, I wish that I'd not shown compassion to this person. Or I wish that I'd not followed Jesus quite as much as I did. Are you kidding me? No one says that. So he says, wake up and embark on this. Be zealous and change direction. Verse 20, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with me and he with me. Such a beautiful picture of Jesus not barging in, not forcing himself to, to you know, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. He stands at the door of the church at Laodicea and he knocks and he says, I'm an outsider to your church. I don't want to be that. And to every single church and every single believer. And I think there are, this is also addressed to people who are non-believers because at the Laodicea, the church at Laodicea, they had people that were very lukewarm Christians, but they had people that were just nominally they were churchgoers or whatever, but that was about it. They had no real faith. And he says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, if God's speaking to you today, he, Jesus says, he says, open the door. And guess what he does? He's not going to come in and get mad at you. He's not going to come in and lecture you. He's going to come in, he says, and we're going to have a meal together. Let's spend time together. The life you've always wanted, here's the fifth principle. Open the door 
to a deep fellowship with Jesus. Jesus wants to connect with you and for you to have a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. And that requires us to say, I'm going to open the door and he's going to be welcome. And for some of us, that would be very dramatic. For other of us, it's just a daily thing. Jesus, you are welcome. Every day of my life and your life, he knocks on the door and he says, am I welcome? And I want you, all of us, to open that door wide and say, Jesus, you're always welcome here. To any rooms in my house, to any areas that you see in my life, you're welcome here. And he says, I just want to be a to, to have this relationship with you, to have this friendship with you, to have this connection to you where I can guide and lead you to the life you've always wanted. One author says, every day God invites us on some kind of adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us on a rigid, rigid itinerary. He simply invites us. God asks us what it is he's made us to love, what it is that captures our attention and what feeds that in deep, indescribable need of our souls to experience the richness of God and of the world he made. And then leaning over to us, he whispers, let's go do that together. Not by yourself. Let's do that together. Open the door to a deep fellowship with Jesus. Um, And for some of you, maybe that's Jesus is is knocking at your door. And I, uh, I, I wanted to share with you a story um, of, of a young man uh, named DJ, and, and check out his story here. I would be working here on Sundays, and I knew that it was something that I really enjoyed. Um, it wasn't uh, a, a typical experience in law enforcement. I didn't have people yelling at me all the time. I didn't have, I wasn't seeing people at their worst all the time. I was seeing happy families. I was seeing smiles. I was seeing people full of joy and life and people that would come up to me and have a conversation with me um, about something other than some trouble that they were going through. And I knew over time that I wanted more of that and I wanted to be more part of that in my own personal life. And I went through the Alpha program here at Valley and through that program I saw a verse on the screen during one of the sessions was Revelation 3.20 and it said, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. And that verse just hit me like a can of rocks. When I was going through my divorce, Jesus was knocking on my door. He wasn't going to force himself in there and be a part of my life. It took me wanting to accept him and allow him and invite him into my life and I had to open that door for him. And I accepted Jesus into my life that day and um, I've had a lot of support from family and friends along the way through this journey, but nothing compares to that verse and accepting Christ into my life. So DJ opened that door to Jesus and maybe Jesus is calling you to open that door. And if you've never come to faith in Jesus, he says, I I, I lived for you. I became incarnate, God in human flesh for you. I went to a cross to die for your sins. And I rose from the dead to give you life. And I'm coming back again to take you to forever eternity with me. Open the door. Trust in Jesus. 
And if you're already a believer, just keep that door open and say, Jesus, welcome, come into my life, transform me, and help me to not settle for a Laodicean lukewarm life, but instead to embrace this rich life you have of me that's soul rich and, and deeply spiritual life that will just invade all the relationships that I have. Last, uh, last verse we look at, uh, a couple of verses. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Here's the principle, number six. Conquer today for powerful forever. You know what? Sometimes it's hard to do this in this world. And Jesus knows that. It was hard for the church at Laodicea to do that because they got so captivated by the stuff around them. But he said, overcome that. Conquer that. The temptations that come your way, all those things, conquer that. Because if you do this, it's going to pay off in the end big time. Um, here's a, here's a, a picture that always has kind of struck me as kind of strange. 24 our uh, fitness class and so they're going to the fitness center but they're but they're taking the escalator okay it's like this doesn't go there's some tough stuff you have to do take the stairs do the hard thing so that in the end you experience the incredible blessing of Jesus do what lasts in life and in eternity and then eventually get around to everything else a lot of times what we do is the opposite we do what is urgent and we forget what's important. And Jesus says, conquer today and I'll give you the right to sit with me on my throne. In other words, we're going to co-reign, co-rule with Jesus over the universe for all eternity. And there's a lot of things that people chase after, like money or accomplishments or whatever. But guys, what he has promised to us is so much more. Can you imagine? For all of eternity? reigning with Jesus, is he offers so much more. Verse 22, that anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to all of us. Guys, um, I just want you to call you right now to just bow your heads with me, wherever you are, and just let's pray together. Can you take a moment just to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you right now? So we've come through all these seven churches. What is the Spirit of Jesus saying to you? Here I have for you a life you've always wanted. Father, I pray that you would touch each heart and one of the principles or one of these verses or one of these statements in this scripture, in this message, has spoken to their souls. And I pray, O oh God, that they would listen to the Spirit and that they would open that door, that they would not settle, but they would be enthralled with your greatness and goodness and would see that you want to make us soul rich and satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, our minds, and our souls and fill them with you. Not all at once, but day by day until one day we go home and you bring us home and then we reign with you forever and ever. Incredible, incredible future you have planned for us. Help us to value that, help us to love that, and help us to pursue that. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. God bless you guys, and have a great weekend.